Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Brisbane podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. For the last two years, we've been journeying through Genesis as a community, delving into the origin stories and histories of our faith. In this series of Genesis, we step into the patriarchal families of Abraham and continue to see how both the promise of God is fulfilled, but also the brokenness of man. Ultimately, we see that even though we are the great promise breakers, he is the great promise keeper. We pray that this message is a blessing. All right. Good afternoon. Uh, It is so good to be with you this afternoon. Uh, As Alex shared, uh, I get the absolute privilege of having two roles with New Life where I look after our young adults community on uh, the Gold Coast, but I also lead our Catalyst community, which is across all of our churches. And by proximity, I feel like I am with you as we've got an amazing group of people from New Life Brisbane in our cohort uh, this year and last year as well. And so it's phenomenal to be with you and to continue this series that we are in uh, Genesis at the moment. And I believe that this is the second last week. Uh, and so if you've been tracking with us, uh, we've been following kind of the life journey of the people that we see in Genesis. So I want to begin uh, this afternoon by having you think a little bit about a time in your life where you realized that things were not as they were meant to be. You may have found yourself in a situation and it's not what you thought, it wasn't what you expected, not what you dreamed of, but alas, you are there thinking this is not how it was meant to be. I wonder if there's some people in the room who maybe uh, at a young age you decided to be a nurse or a teacher, um, perhaps an engineer, and after years of studying and practical hours and now you're in that role and in that job and you find yourself thinking, oh no, this is not how it was supposed to be. I wonder if people in the room, uh, perhaps you have dreamt of retirement and you have slogged out those years, you've dreamt of the days where you can wake up with no responsibility, you don't have to do anything at all, there's nothing in your calendar, And now that you have retired and your life is busier than ever and grandkids are taking over everything, you think, ah, this is not how it was meant to be. I wonder this one might hit a little bit more home for the young adults in the room. I wonder if you remember dating someone and you dreamt of your lives intertwining together, the futures that you were going to have. Um, And And at a moment when you realize that maybe this wasn't the person that you were going to be with and you broke up, and in the grief and the loss and the confusion of that, you find yourself in this moment where you're just thinking, gosh, this isn't how I dreamed things were meant to be. Maybe uh, you thought the Christian life, life with God, was meant to be fun and easy and everything going right. And now things are kind of through trial and a, a little bit of just life experience you might be thinking, this isn't how I thought the Christian life was meant to be. And I think that there's, there's few things more painful in life than having our dreams and our hopes misaligned with reality or having those things fall apart in front of our eyes. And I actually think there's few things more confusing in this life as well. And I think that we ask the question, You know, where is God and all of this? And and how do we fit uh, our theological grid into life's experience? And and where do those two tectonics plates collide and there's friction? How do we manage that? How do we we walk through that? 
And like all good Christians, we turn to the Bible, and thankfully, we're comforted as we see many people's lives, kind of, that they all fell apart, and they, they have this robust faith still, and it inspires us. We see that their lives sucked at times as well, and we're comforted, and, and we see a little bit of ourselves in the pictures. And uh, in Genesis, in the life of Joseph, gosh, it's, it's, it's not an easy life that we're reading. Surprisingly, though, it's a very long life. There is a lot of time in Genesis where we're focusing on this guy, Joseph, and his life kind of could become the next Netflix series because there is plot twists, there's family dynamics, uh, there's a little bit of betrayal, uh, there's near-death experiences, and then it all of a sudden has this amazing happy ending that is a little bit unbelievable. And so we find ourselves in these pages today continuing, uh, but not, not long ago, a few weeks ago maybe, a few chapters before, we were in chapter 37, where Joseph had these dreams, and God gave him these two dreams, and remembering he was a teenage boy at the time, he didn't have a lot of finesse or understanding about how to communicate said dreams. And so he was an external processor and told his whole family, uh, probably because the front uh, cortex of his brain hadn't developed yet properly as a teenage boy, but he kind of said, hey, mom and dad, hey, hey, bros, uh, there's going to be a day where I'm actually going to rule over all of you. Isn't that going to be awesome? And they all kind of were like, no, what? You're the youngest. You don't rule over anyone, mate. Like, get your head out of the clouds. And so we see from there kind of things start to fall apart. He has this, on one hand, he has this beautiful picture and encounter with God where, where God un, unveils his future to him and it's one that's full of hope and it's, it's full of promise and enticing. But then from that moment on, when he is at this spiritual ecstasy moment with God, from then, his life falls apart. And what we see is his, his brothers beat him up near to death. They leave him on the side of the road in a ditch. He gets sold into slavery, taken to a foreign land. His boss's wife hits on him and then accuses him of rape, and now he ends up in prison. Not a great, not a great start for old Joe here. And so we're in chapter 40, and we hope things get a little bit better. Gosh, I hope he's got some good things coming, but hey, let's read it for ourselves. We're going to read the whole chapter, so it's not going to be on the screens. Uh, I'd love you to follow along in your Bibles or on your phones or whatever you have, or just listen to the story. It starts off with some beautiful, reassuring words where it says, some time later, remembering his in prison. The cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker, and the king of Egypt, who were held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were in custody with him in the master's house, hey, why do you look so sad today? Oh, we both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, mm, do, not uh, do not interpretations belong to the Lord? Tell me your dreams. 
So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream, I, I saw a vine in front of me and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and put the cup in his hand. Well, this is what it means, Joseph said to him. Three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread and in the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. Three baskets, three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole. The birds will eat away your flesh. Hmm. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday. He gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had said to him in, the present, in his interpretation. Last verse, you're doing well. The, cup, uh, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Dum, dum, dum. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Told you it was a big story. So I can imagine Joseph at the end of chapter 40 is thinking, this is not at all how it was meant to be. I am still here. I am still suffering. I had a glimpse of hope. I got my get out of jail free card. That was a joke. And, and he is there still in prison, not sure of when he is gonna get out. This is trials, this is suffering. This is uh, long suffering. And I think that, you know, preaching on a topic like suffering and trials in a church in the past, in the community that I don't pastor can feel quite distant. It can feel as though uh, at times actually reckless to think I, I actually don't know pastorally what's happening in our community here. I don't know the suffering that you're walking through. I don't know the things that we're praying for and, and hoping to see breakthrough in. Um, and so in preparing to, to speak here this afternoon, I, I wanted the Lord to really show me things that would help any of us who are walking through immense suffering to be able to hold on and to push through, to be able to have hope and to be able to have these just, they're not rocket science, three very simple truths that I believe will, will help us regardless of what you're walking through. So this afternoon, there's, there's three simple things that are gonna be on the screen for you. The first one to remember is that God is close. The second is God is in control. And the third is that God will use this. Three things that I believe will help us through times of trial and challenge. So the first is God is close. 
So when we read Joseph's story, it's actually easy to skip through these chapters, even though we just spent a solid couple of minutes in it. When you skim over his life, it's easy to think that it's like this rags to riches story. He goes from being uh, almost beaten to death and sold into slavery then to becoming the second most important person in the world, spoiler alerts. So what happens in this success story, perhaps, we, we don't remember the moments where he is formed, the moments that, are, uh, that he is alone, that he is in a place of suffering and trial. And we think that things are all going right in his life, and we remember that he actually had the perception that things were all going wrong. And I think when we are in suffering, maybe the first question that we ask, and it's natural to do so, is to say, well, where is God? Where is God in all of this? I'm in slavery. I'm in, I'm in prison. I've, I've got a medical diagnosis. I've got a relationship breakdown. I'm in financial threat. Where is God? Where is God in all of this? And our assumption is that because normally we think that if God is with us, then nothing bad can happen. I just don't know where we get that assumption from. It's definitely not in the Bible. It's definitely not what we see in Scripture. And when we're asking these questions, do we not remember that Jesus, who was God, he was not without pain. He was not without suffering. And if, if he is our example and he is the one that we look to, why do we think that our life too will then not be filled with perhaps pain or suffering? It's actually, sadly, the most universal human experience to have trial and to have challenge. A life without it is, is not a life lived at all. And it's interesting in this very long story of Joseph that there's two moments that we see explicitly where God was. There's two moments where it says God was with him. And these moments are not when he's getting promoted. It's not when things are going right. It's actually the first one is when he's in slavery. The second one's when he's in prison. So in Genesis 39, when Joseph is a slave, it says in verse two, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. Sounds like an oxymoron. He's in, in slavery. How is he prospering? The second is when Joseph is in prison. It says, uh, but while Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor. I would love to know what favor in prison looks like. But then we kind of join some dots and we see that Joseph is in charge of other prisoners and we think, okay, there's a little bit of hierarchy happening here. But these moments where God is explicitly saying, I am with you. And it's not where we would expect. What does it tell us? It tells us that admits our version of slavery and suffering, when things don't make sense and are confusing to us, when there's, when there's trial, it's not that God will automatically stop it, but he will be with us. He didn't instantly break Joseph out of jail. He kept company with him through it. It has been my experience and the experience of many people that when we are suffering, we discover that God is extremely close. If we were to ask Joseph, did you feel abandoned by God? I can imagine his response was be, no, he didn't leave me a second of the way. He was with me. Mike Pilavachi and Angie Croft, they say this, God's initial solution to our hurt is his companionship. I love that. They go on to tell this beautiful story 
about a father and a son. It's a story about how this son moves into a new bedroom and it's in the attic. And the first night he is uncomfortable because attics are flipping scary. There's strange noises, it's unfamiliar, and it's abnormally dark. And eventually, to reassure him, his dad gives him a choice. He can switch the main light on and keep it on all night. Or he can switch the light off but have his dad stay with him in the room. The boy goes for the second option. When it comes to comfort, he would rather have his father's presence in the darkness than his absence in the light. And I believe if we are bound to walk through trial and suffering in this life, I would much rather have the presence of those who love me and even more, my heavenly father. There is no way that I would wanna walk through trial alone without hope and without the presence of God. And I think when we're asking God the question, God, where are you? Where are you in this hurt? Where are you in this pain? His answer is, I'm right here. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you always. Psalm 23, it's such a famous psalm, right? And there's beautiful imagery in it. But it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which might translate in your life to, even though I walk through circumstances I don't understand, even though I walk through things that are overwhelming, even though I am full of confusion right now about why things are happening the way they are, even though I walk through that, I will fear no evil. I will not be consumed by anxiety and fear. Why? Because you are with me, God, you are with me. And even more, he will comfort us. It says your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The tangibleness of your love, it comforts me. In times of trial, we see that God is close. And secondly, in times of trial, we see that God is in control. And I'm glad that the one who is close is also the one who is in control. I think that when we're going through those rapids of life and we're holding on for dear life, the thought that God is in control can act as a, a life jacket. It can keep us buoyant. It can help us through. And we can have questions that arise and it's hard to see the beginning from the end, uh, but I would say that it's, it's actually the only thing that will, will bring our faith to life. It's the only thing that we can cling to. But like I said, it's really hard to do. Because I think we ask the question, well, God, where are you? But I think the second question we ask is, well, why? Why, God? Why is this happening? If you're in control, why is this going on? I thought you were my savior. I thought that you're in control of everything. I thought that you could take me out of this. I thought that you loved me. These are all questions that rise up, and rightly so. It's okay to question God. He could take it. A.W. Tozer, very bluntly and very reassuringly, just says this. God is in control. He may not always take, the storms of, take away the storms of life, but he can always calm the storms within our hearts. You know, this quote reminds me of the difference between what can happen in the external and, and the power of God for the internal. That the chaos around us could be all-consuming, but the peace of God can guard our heart and mind. That there can be this, this inner work and this deep peace within our soul that makes no sense to anyone else, but that's what we have in the Christian faith. That's what we have in our relationship with Jesus. I don't know what else in this world offers you that kind of assurance, that regardless of what's going on, that we can say that it is well with our soul. That's a beautiful gift, and I think at times we might take it for granted. Other people don't have that. 
Other people don't have that reassurance deep down. And there's so many times in Joseph's story, right, where we actually see this strategic positioning, where we see, oh, God, you actually may have been in control there. Oh, you do see beginning to end. You know how this story finishes. You know how you've written this into Joseph's life and into the the life of the world around them. We see strategically that Joseph was given kind of authority in prison, that uh, he was elevated to a position in charge to where two officials of the king, Pharaoh at time, would bother to even come to Joseph with things and that God actually chose to speak to these people through, uh, I don't know, something that Joseph had a little bit of experience in. God could have appeared to them in any way, but the strategic nature of God was, okay, Joseph's here, we've had a little bit of experience with dreams, didn't go down too well, we've learnt from that, and now we're in for round two. And what Joseph does here is he shows that he's matured a lot of the way, which happens when we persevere and we walk through suffering, but we see that God's strategy of course he's in control. This isn't coincidence. This isn't coincidence that God appeared to, to, uh, to them in a dream and then, oh, happened to have someone who was familiar with interpreting dreams. This is God in control. And I think at times with the fog of suffering, when we're just trying to make it through, it's hard to see those intentional moments where God has actually positioned and strategically placed things in our path. It's in hindsight that we often see his fingerprints all over it. God is in control. And this doesn't mean, though, that Joseph didn't long for his freedom. It's not like he was like, well, Lord, I'm in prison. As long as it takes, I'm happy here. No, Joseph was like, get me out of this jolly thing. Remember me. Verse 14, it says, but when all goes well with you, because it will, because I've seen it in your dream, remember me. He showed kindness to me. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of here. Just because he had a perspective on suffering didn't mean that he didn't want it to finish. He's still human. And with all those realistic feelings, with all those kind of uh, heart longings, he still ached to be released. He still ached for justice. And can you imagine the disappointment where we left in verse 23, the end of that chapter? He still was not remembered. Can you imagine what that would have felt like? To have a taste of the next step. To have his hope filled up. I'm sure there's moments in in your suffering where you've picked up on that point of, maybe I'm at the end of this. Maybe this is it. I can all see how it's aligned now. Just to find out that there's actually a little bit more journey to go. It would have been hugely hard to understand, but also hard to persevere. You know, the, the next chapter, chapter 41, you'd think starts with, now that Joseph was out of prison, but it actually starts with saying, at the end of two full years later, Joseph is in prison two more years. After some time later, and some time later before that, he's now got a whole another two years. Why does God let it go on for so long? You know, Joseph's seen God's hand at work and he knows the process of discipline and he appreciates that God's doing something in him and it's probably gonna be of lasting value, but his heart aches for freedom. It's okay when we're going through things that are tough to hope that they end. Gosh, it's human. And it's okay to wrestle with the disappointment of it not ending quicker. 
we may know that in it God is close. And it's terribly confusing when all the, our plans and our hopes seem to be delayed. But it's then I think that we also move into this place of recognizing that God will use this. I met up with someone and it's not a, um, not a standalone story. It happens in, in pastoral care a lot. But I met up with someone who was in hospital recently and they had uh, been going through so much, things that I can't even imagine just long-suffering and, and no answers and not sure when it was ever going to lift. And I met with them and um, I was absolutely blown away by the amount of hope that they had. And I was sitting there thinking, I don't even know if I would have this perspective. I don't know how you have this much hope. And their hope was from a place of knowing that God will someday and somehow use all of this experience for good. And I don't know if that's just the last thing that you have to hold on to, or if it's a very unshakable promise of God. And there's, there's scripture that says, you know, God uses all things for good. And I love, I wish that there was in brackets in some way and somehow, because it's, it's hard to read those words or to say it to someone else when they're walking through hard times. You can't even stomach it. How is God going to use this? Imagine saying to Joseph in prison, oh, don't worry, bud. God's going to use it all for good for those who believe. <laughs> Just hang in there. And we've probably all received that, and we know the bodily function that we want to do to receive that word is often, thank you. Um, <laughs> but in those moments, those words, they're, they're so hard to stomach. But I think when we are walking through times that are tough but have the perseverance that happens within us and, and the, the work, the deep work of the Holy Spirit and this formation that happens under pressure, I think that we can have this perspective where it's actually what we want to hold on to is that, you know, what I've walked through, I hope God uses me somehow that I can help someone else. I hope that somehow this will work out for good in a way that I can't figure out because I'm not God and I'm not calling the shots. But there's a hope that we hold on to in suffering that we believe with faith that God will use this for good. Joseph had a day after day in prison, day after day of having to choose to walk faithfully with God. For people who like numbers and find Bible facts cool, there's 4,745 days, actually, that, that Joseph is walking through this suffering, this time of slavery and this time in prison. And, and you think about those days and you think each day he's choosing to live out another day in chains faithfully with God. Evenings of praying to God, knowing whether his circumstance, circumstances would change or if they wouldn't, he decided to lean in. Decisions to walk closer to God, not further away. Times when the daily resolution to dig in defined the trajectory of his story. The idea that if you're walking through hell, it's to keep going. It's perseverance, knowing that God is with you, that he is control, and he will use it for good. My dad had one of those really annoying parenting sayings that he whipped out far too often. 
Whenever I was going through things that I would deem unfair or um, that just sucked or not right, he would say, oh, Anna, it's character building. (laughs) And in those moments, you think, well, I don't care about my character. (laughs) But it's right, though, hey? Your character isn't built when things are all nice and easy and everything's going great. Your character's built when you're needing to press in. Your character's built when you don't understand things. You need him to choose to live a way that is in response to who we know God is. God doesn't cause our suffering, but he works his purposes through it. Suffering might be the only way that we develop this sense of perseverance. And the prize of perseverance, we're told, is this, that we might become mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so in these trials and in these confusions... Don't doubt that God is not at work, that he is. And don't doubt that he isn't somehow in some way going to use it for good because that is the beautiful nature of our God. Joseph is a great story of perseverance, but our ultimate example is found in Jesus, always. In Hebrews 12, verses one to two, it says this, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus could see the purpose when everyone around him saw meaningless suffering. They yelled at him, get down from there if you're the king of God, if you're the son of God, if you're the king of the Jews, surely you can get down from there. Wouldn't that have been tempting, except for Jesus to know the purpose of his suffering? And what was the purpose? It says that there was a joy that was set before him. And what's astonishing is that joy was you and me. That joy was him recognizing the purpose of that suffering to be able to make us right in relationship with the Father, to give us access. Without it, how would we have known what eternal life is? The access to that. Jesus did not for a minute forget that sense of purpose, even though he knew the that the only way to get there was pain. And in his humanness, even though he was God, he was still humid, human, humid, <laughs> I'm humid. <laughs> um, there was moments where he, like Joseph, said, gosh, if there's any other way. There were still moments where it was like, I, I don't long for this suffering, but I do see the purpose. This is a testimony of so many saints for years and years that have recognized that we have purpose through suffering, that there is a sense that God is at work. They've persevered and triumphed through suffering because at the lowest points of their lives, they kept sight of their Lord. His presence was with them. And and we can look, you know, Easter, it's coming up around the corner. This is the message of Easter, that it wasn't just suffering for the sake of suffering, but it was suffering in the sake of great, great purpose. Purpose for you and for me and for all those to come. And it's, it's hard for us to sometimes resonate that that equates to something that we're walking through as well. Well, that was okay for the, the king of heaven, but I don't know if I have what it takes. And that's where we have the beautiful gift of the Holy Spirit. He is the one that reminds us that he is close. He is the great comforter. He is the great advocate. He is the great counselor. He is the one, through trial and suffering, 
who was very, very near. So we remember that God is close. When we're asking the question, God, where are you? He's close. When we don't understand and we're asking the question, well, why is this happening? It is with faith that we believe that God is in control, that he knows the beginning from the end. And when we are longing for hope or a reason for why this is all happening, we can cling on to the fact that he will use this all for good. And that suffering is not eternal, that we have a hope and a future where there will be no more suffering, there will be no more pain, where things will be put right with us and God and that the beauty and, the, and what is true and good will have its rule and reign. There's a, there's a beautiful end point that we're walking towards, but there is no assumption that it is going to be easy. But I am forever grateful to know that if that's what's coming my way, I would love for my Heavenly Father to be with me. There's, there's nothing else that brings me the same amount of comfort or perseverance or hope in this world. And you might be sitting here this afternoon as, as we close and I invite the band up. You might be sitting here this afternoon and you are walking through immense suffering. Maybe that's why you're in church. Maybe there's nothing else that you've got left or nowhere else to turn and you think, oh, maybe I'll give that a shot. I've seen it in the movies or I've got a friend who talks about it. Maybe that's why you're here this afternoon. You've just walked off the street and you've sat down and and the whole point of this is, yes, to encourage the other Christians in the room, but it's also a message for you this afternoon to say that there is a God in heaven who longs to be close to you. There's a God in heaven who is able to be the one in control. It's not just not happening in a chaotic state, but you can actually cling to him knowing that he is in control. And there's a hope that we have in Jesus. And maybe it's a hope that is what you, des- what you desire to know that this isn't all gonna be wasted, but rather he is gonna use this for good somehow and in some way. And this, this God in heaven is not one who's filled with hate towards you, but love. And he is actually longing to be in relationship with you. So if you're here this afternoon and, and you'd actually love to give that a go, if you'd love to invite God into your heart and in a, in a place of suffering or in deep desperation or longing or just curiosity, you might be here and, and willing and ready to say a prayer and begin this journey of having God come and be the Lord and Saviour of your life. And if that's you, I would just love for you to just pop your hand up just to know that I'm praying with you. It seems really bold and really courageous, but it's just a chance for me to say, hey, I'd love to pray with you, to look what it, to see what it looks like to take this next step, step of faith, to pray with you, to learn with you, to give you a Bible, to join you with someone who can answer some questions. But if that's you this afternoon, just want to raise your hand at me to say, yeah, Anna, that's me. I'd love to invite God into my life. I'd love to start the journey. Is that anyone this afternoon? You're amongst friends. We're all going to say this prayer together in a minute anyway. I don't have good eyesight, so I don't know if there's anyone up the back. But we're going to pray together in faith. And if you didn't raise your hand, it's not that you can't start this journey. It's literally for me to just be able to know that I'm praying with you. But I would love for us as a community of faith, as a people gathered here in Brisbane this afternoon, if we could say a prayer for those whose hearts are longing for Jesus this afternoon. 
So I'm just gonna say a few lines and then you just say them after me. It's not a magical prayer, it's just the start. It's inviting Jesus in. It's believing in your heart and declaring with your mouth that that you're wanting Him to be the Lord of your life. So how about church, we say this together. Dear Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross for me. I'm sorry for the times I've ignored it. I'm sorry for the times I haven't followed you. Please come into my life. Be my Lord and my Saviour. And show me how to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. The next thing I'd love to do is just have everyone, if you're able, to stand with me. I would just love us, I don't know if this is something that you do in Brizzy, probably is, but we're just going to take a little moment um, and wait on the Holy Spirit, and I just want to sense if there's anything that He is saying uh, that there might be some people who want to respond in a certain way, so I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit, uh, I'm just going to wait and listen for a little bit, the band's just going to play over us, and I'm going to sense uh, what He is saying. So come Holy Spirit speak with us now thanks again for listening to the new life podcast if that stirred something within you or you'd like prayer you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our instagram or facebook page we pray that you have a great week be blessed